You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall dwell in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of of glory. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 is a celebration of the king. And we saw last week now that um, this celebration of the king is a, a fitting next step to the ending of Psalm 20, 23. Psalm 23, verse 6 ends, remember, with the Messiah, the victorious king. Yeah, he, he returns to dwell in the presence of God forever. And Psalm 24 continues that same theme by showing us that this king is welcomed into that place with praise. And as we look at this psalm today, this morning, I want us just to really focus on two simple things, okay? I want us to first remember Jesus. And then secondly, I want us to recognize our calling. Okay, those are the two basic points, two parts of this message. Remember Jesus and then recognize our calling. And before we get started, I want us to once again ask God to help us receive what he has for us in this psalmist. I want you to pray uh, this simple prayer from Psalm uh, 119, verse 18. I just want you to ask that God would, would open your eyes to behold wondrous things in his word. Would you pray that? We, we, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, part one is uh, remember Jesus. And by, by starting here with this remember Jesus part, I, I, I'm heeding um, a command from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. So Timothy was a pastor, and Paul uh, exhorts him in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And I think this command from the Apostle Paul is a, is a command with, with comprehensive application, which means I, th I think it matters everywhere. When it comes to Timothy's decision-making, remember Jesus. When it comes to Timothy's endurance in ministry, remember Jesus. When it comes to, to his preaching, remember Jesus, okay? And, and remembering Jesus, this is something that your pastors are eager to do. And it's not hard to do in Psalm 24 because Psalm 24 is considered 
a messianic psalm, which means historically this psalm has been read and interpreted to be about the Messiah. Now, I, I think every psalm ultimately is about the Messiah. It is, okay? But there are certain psalms that are more direct, more overt than others, and, and this is one of those psalms. Um, that's the way that this psalm, Psalm 24, has been read for most of church history, going all the way back to at least Justin Martyr in the 100s. Okay, so Justin Martyr in the 100s, he said that Psalm 24 is not about Solomon because, quote, none of the gatekeepers at the temple in Jerusalem ever said this about Solomon. Psalm 24 is about Jesus, and, and other church fathers agreed with Justin, and then Augustine agreed, and then later, later Calvin agreed, and then in, in 1741, the composer George Friedrich Handel agreed. All right, look, I just want you to know, I, I'm, not, I'm not pretending to know much about music or about Handel's Messiah. I don't, um, but I do know that Handel's Messiah is a long musical production about the life of Jesus. And basically, the, the whole production walks through um, the Gospels. It walks through the scenes of Jesus' life, including the resurrection and ascension. And for the ascension scene in Handel's Messiah, the choir actually sings Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10. And you can YouTube this. And you can check it out. You can listen to it. Um, it's, it's incredible. You know, the, the male and the female uh, vocals are, are going back and forth. It's amazing. Okay, so you can check that out. Psalm 24 is about Jesus. That's the way it's been read for pretty much all of church history. And I think that's right. Okay, I, I think that's right. And so now what I want to do is I want to show you why in more detail. And I want to start by highlighting uh, these two themes of righteousness and kingship, okay? The, the two themes of righteousness and kingship are interconnected throughout the entire book of Psalms. And actually, if we remember, that's, that's how the Psalms begin in Psalms 1 and 2. All right, so let's think back. Remember that Psalm 1 begins with, with this vision of the blessed man. The blessed man is the man who turns away from sin and who delights himself in the instruction or, or the law of Yahweh. He, he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That's what the blessed man does. But also, when we consider the Old Testament more broadly, the, the Psalm 1 blessed man is also a description of what the king is supposed to be. So back, if we go back now and, and think in, in Deuteronomy 17, Moses in Deuteronomy 17, he lays out for the people of Israel what God expects of Israel's king. Now, Moses is saying this a long time before Israel even had kings. So Moses, in this passage, is being prophetic. He's, he's looking ahead to the future, and in the passage, God tells Israel that the king he sets over them should be righteous, should be righteous. And then he explains what this righteousness looks like. What, what, does, what, what is the description of this righteous king? It includes two things. The first part... He turns away from sin. And then the second part, he is devoted to the law of the Lord. He's devoted to the law 
of Yahweh. Listen to Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So now Israel, Israel knows what to look for in their king. He must be righteous, and he must be devoted to the law of the Lord. Now, this comes up again with Joshua. Joshua is the leader who comes after Moses, and Joshua was kind of like a preview king for, for Israel. He, he uh, Because of his leadership, the way that he served Israel, he served Israel in a kingly way, anticipating the future kings of Israel. And Moses tells Joshua what Joshua is supposed to do. And this is what Moses says in Joshua 1.8. He says, this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Again, this, this is what Israel expects in their leader. This is what Israel is learning to expect in their king. And so when Psalm 1 opens the way it does, speaking about this blessed man who is righteous and devoted to the law of Yahweh, if we are thinking along with the rhythms of Scripture, with the rhythms of the Old Testament, Psalm 1 reminds us of the king. We think, oh, this sounds like the king. And that reminder of the king in Psalm 1 is immediately confirmed in Psalm 2 because remember, Psalm 2 is all about the Lord's anointed one, the Messiah, who is his king. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. Yahweh says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And Yahweh gives his king universal reign. Psalm 2 shows us that this king, the, the ends of the earth shall be his possession, and this king is reigning from Yahweh's holy hill. He's reigning from Yahweh's holy hill. Now, the, Yahweh's holy hill we see in Psalm 2 is Zion or Jerusalem, um, and this is something we see again in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. Jerusalem or Zion, um, the location of the temple, God's dwelling place, it was like a mountain, Okay, it was like a mountain. And so it's appropriately called in Psalm 2, God's holy hill. And that phrase, holy hill, and other phrases like it are used all throughout the book of Psalms. And when they're used, they're referring to Jerusalem and really the temple, God's dwelling place. This is where Yahweh has set his king. Okay, and so... If we think back, the very beginning of the book of Psalms in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, righteousness and kingship are connected. They're connected in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. The righteous man who turns from sin and meditates on the law is Yahweh's king who is set on Yahweh's holy hill. We are supposed to expect the Psalm 2 universal king to be like the Psalm 1 righteous man. And we see this theme again next in Psalm 15. 
Now, Psalm 15 starts with a question. The question is, O Lord, who shall shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And there's that phrase again, holy hill. But we know the answer to that question. We know because Psalm 2 verse 6 tells us it's the king. The king is the one who is seated on Yahweh's holy hill. But, but, but remember how Psalm 15 answers the question. Psalm 15 says that the one who dwells on Yahweh's holy hill is he who walks blamelessly and does what is right who speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. And Psalm 15 goes on to describe a righteous man, the righteous man who sounds, sounds a lot like the Psalm 1 man. And so we wonder in Psalm 15, which is it? Who is it? Who gets to be on God's holy hill? Who gets to, to dwell in God's holy place? Psalm 2 says it's Yahweh's king. Psalm 15 says it's the righteous man. And we should say, yes, it's both because he's the same. We should expect the king to be the righteous man. The, king, the, 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 the themes of righteousness and kingship are interconnected throughout the Psalms. And the next place that we see these themes connected is Psalm 24, which is where we are today. Psalm 24, verse 3, asks the question again, who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh? Who shall stand in his holy place? And we've heard that question. The answer in Psalm 24 is that it's the righteous man, verses 4 to 6, and the king in verses 7 to 10. So righteousness and kingship are again connected, just like we see going all the way back to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. The vision of this righteous king, which introduces us to the book of Psalms, is the same vision we find in Psalm 24. The righteous man is the king of glory. And it's the Messiah. The Messiah is the king of glory. But now verses 8 and 10 say clearly that it's the Lord. The Lord himself, Yahweh himself, is the king of glory. So can the king be both Yahweh and his Messiah? And the answer is yes, of course. Because the Messiah is Yahweh. Now we're able to read Psalm 24 with New Testament clarity, which is good. But this is also something that we see in other places throughout the Psalms. So take Psalm 45, for example. Okay, Psalm 45, if you were to go there and read it, Psalm 45 is all about the king. It, It is a song of adoration all about the king who is the Messiah. But then verse verse 6 says this, Psalm 45, verse 6 about the king, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And we've heard a lot of that so far in this psalm. But what we see in Psalm 45 is there's a conflation between God himself and his Messiah king. 
it's almost interchangeable how, how the Psalms talk about God and the king. God is often called the king, like we see in Psalm 10, verse 16, like we saw in Psalm 22, verse 18. Kingship belongs to Yahweh. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is the original and the ultimate king of Israel. And in the Psalms, the, the reign of the king and God's reign are one and the same. There is no disparity between the reign of Messiah and the reign of Yahweh. The Messiah is the king set on the throne by God. And so whatever God wants, Messiah wants. Whatever God says, Messiah says. And we, we see this already unfolding in the Psalms, but of course, in the New Testament, this is just shouted. This is declared. This is proclaimed. Jesus the Messiah is God. He is Yahweh. He is the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He is the one that God the Father has highly exalted to his right hand. He has given him dominion over everything which is what Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2 are about. Don't want to skip these verses, okay? So, so think back to verses 1 and 2. Look, look here at verses 1 and 2. Okay, remember Psalm 23 verse 6, the Lord is, goes from a shepherd to a host. The Lord is a host, and he has welcomed the Messiah into his presence where he will dwell forever. And then Psalm 24 opens by reminding us what belongs to this host. What, what, what belongs to the Lord? The answer is everything. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, all that fills it, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. All that is, this is what Psalm, 20, Psalm 24 opens by just clarifying for us, reminding us, all that is belongs to Yahweh because he made all that is. And that's what the king inherits under his reign. And, and this actually reminds us about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Remember, Satan took Jesus uh, to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, look. That's not an arbitrary temptation, okay? Satan knows who he's talking to, okay? Satan knows the Psalms better than we do. But Jesus knows the Psalms better than Satan. And he knew that the earth and its fullness belongs to God, which means it's not Satan's to give. Jesus indeed would have all of those kingdoms, Jesus indeed would have all of that glory, but not this way, not without the cross, not without the valley. See, it's nail-scarred hands that embrace the throne of Psalm 24. This king on the throne in Psalm 24, this king who enters into the presence of God in Psalm 24, he has come through battle, and he has been mighty in battle. The Messiah King, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He has been mighty in battle for you and for me. He's been mighty in battle for us. Jesus, in this battle, conquered sin and death, not only for his glory, but so that we can share in his glory, so that we can be part of this. We have a place, church. We have a place in Psalm 24. And this is part two of the sermon. Okay, so part one is we remember Jesus. Now part two is we, we recognize our calling, which means we have to ask, what does all this mean for us? If Jesus is the king of glory in Psalm 24, what does this mean for us, for you and me, for the church? And this all has to do with our union with Jesus, our union to Jesus by faith. Look back at, look back at verse 6 here. Now remember, the question is, who ascends the hill of the Lord? The answer is the righteous man, like we've seen. But then in verse 6, after describing the righteous man in verses 4 and 5, Verse 6 says, Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So the, the generation of those who seek the face of God, this refers to the people of God. These are the faithful, true saints of God who are like this righteous man. Okay? It's a singular he in verses 4 and 5. And verse 6 is saying that the faithful people of God are like him. Such is the generation of those who seek God. This means that the Messiah, who is one person, he has a whole people who are like him and who share in his glory. Now, another place we see this in the Bible in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 7. We don't have time to, to go there, but I do want to comment on this. Daniel 7 is a prophecy about the dominion of the Messiah. Okay, there, there came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Okay, that's absolutely about Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus often refers to himself as the son of man. The kind of reign described in Daniel 7 is attributed to Jesus in other places throughout the Bible. Exact phrases from Daniel 7 are quoted in the book of Revelation. The glory and the kingdom of Daniel 7 belongs to Jesus. All right, But if we keep reading in Daniel 7, verse 18 says, quote, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Daniel 7, verse 27 says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey them. So then, in Daniel 7, what is said about the Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is said about the whole true people of God in verses 18 and 27. That's because the people of Jesus are united to him such that we share in his glory. Now, this is called corporate representation, all right? It's when there's a king or a head, and he's the representative of his kingdom or whatever it is that he's the head of. It means that what is true of the representative is true of the represented, 
In Psalm 24, what is true of the individual righteous man, the king, sums up all his people in himself. The one who ascends the hill of the Lord is the righteous man, the king of glory, and his people with him, those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. This is the union with Jesus that the apostle Paul talks about. When Jesus was crucified, our old selves were crucified with him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, our new selves were raised with him. When Jesus ascended to heaven, we also ascended with him. We are seated with him. We, the church, those who trust in Jesus, those who are united to Jesus, we are ascended with Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And this is, this is very important here, okay? This is really important. R- remember that in the ascension, Jesus was returning to his seat of glory. He was going back to the place he had left to come to earth. Now, the difference in Jesus taking his seat in the ascension is not a change in his glory. He has always been glorious. But the difference in the ascension is that he, he has now brought us with him. I'll say it this way. The ascension does not give Jesus more glory as if he lacked anything before. But the ascension gives us a glory that we never dare to dream. Because now, in this moment, we are united to the exalted one. We, we church, we are united with the one who has ascended. And we are with him Right now, all of his benefits are ours, his achievements, his privileges, his inheritance, even his spirit. Even his spirit has been given to us because of his ascension. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that God, the Father, has established us in Christ, and he has anointed us. And that word literally is, he has Christed us. That's what Paul is saying. God has Christed us. And he has put his seal on us by giving us the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a little, to be a Christian. (laughs) To be a Christian means we are little Christ. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. We are a whole people who who have been joined to our king, made to be like him. And all that is his, it belongs to us. All that is his now belongs to us, Christian. Do you have any idea how rich you are? Do you know, Christian, Brother, sister, do you know your inheritance in Christ? You are a citizen of heaven. You are seated with Jesus who rules over all. All things are yours. You will judge the world. You will judge 
angels. You will reign with Jesus all because you are united to Jesus and Jesus is the ascended one. (laughs) You are ascended with him right now. In this moment, can you believe this right now? In this moment, objectively, spiritually, positionally, we are heavenly. Objectively, spiritually, positionally, we are heavenly. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we're not in heaven. Not here. Not yet. This world in its current condition is a far away country for those of us who are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. And yet, our being seated with Jesus in the heavenly places is supposed to impact what we do here. This is our calling. We remember who Jesus is. We remember him. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Don't you forget, remember Jesus. And know that we have been spiritually resurrected with him. We are born again. We are ascended and seated with him right now. Our hearts are in heaven. That's where my treasure is. So how do we live now in the in-between? How do we live in this world as those who have ascended with Jesus? Now, for the fullest answer to that question, it's like, see the New Testament, okay? Because that's what the New Testament is about. But I want to highlight three things here from Psalm 24. How do we live in this world as those who are ascended with Jesus? Number one, we live morally. Now, we see this in verses 4 to 6. Be righteous, church, in your deeds, your motives, your allegiances, and your words. Clean hands, pure hearts, truth in soul and speech. Clean hands, pure hearts, truth in soul and speech. This is Jesus, of course. Jesus lived this way perfectly, and this is how we should live as his people. Now, Living this way is not what earns us our union with Jesus, but we live this way because we are united with Jesus. And when we see this moral vision in in places like Psalm 1 and Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, we should think Christ's likeness, okay? We, as the people of Jesus, we should live like Jesus, okay? Number two, we live generously, We are ascended with Jesus. We are citizens of heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven. Our Savior is in heaven. And therefore, there's nothing more incompatible with that reality than to live in this world stingy. I cannot think of anything more backwards than for a Christian to live with a scarcity mindset, always being afraid of what we might lose. 
always trying to guard, protect our stuff. Listen to this, okay? The things of highest value to us, the things of highest value to us are secured for us in heaven. So while we're here, give. Give. And I'm talking about money. Give money. Share what you have. Pour out your life. We are seated with Jesus in heaven. Be generous, church. Be generous. And number three, uh, because we are ascended with Jesus, we live joyfully. And specifically here, um, we worship Jesus joyfully, which means we gladly declare his kingship. And this, should, this should really shape the way that we think about sharing the gospel, Okay. So when we, we tell, when we tell our neighbors and our friends about Jesus, we're actually announcing the reign of Jesus. And we're not, we're not inviting people to make Jesus their king. We're telling them that Jesus is king. And they're going to meet Jesus, either by faith in the gospel or in judgment on the last day. And so... We say, I worship Jesus. He is the king. He's the resurrected, ascended, reigning king. I worship him. Would you, would you worship him with me? Come, come worship him with me. Ask the people of Jesus in our worship, in our witness, in our sharing the gospel. We, we joyfully join the chorus of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, neighbors, friends. <laughs> Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Recognize he's king. The king of glory is coming in. Who is this king of glory, we ask? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became human like you and lived in your place unceasingly faithful righteous and true but he went to the cross and died for you he took your sins upon himself and he suffered and died as your punishment he didn't stay dead though because on the third day he was resurrected from the grave and he ascended to heaven and he is seated at the father's right hand and if you trust him if you put your faith in Jesus, not in yourself, not in anything else, but if you put your faith in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven for all your sins. You will be united to Jesus forever. And even now in this moment, you will be seated with him. You will be ascended with him. So come, worship him with me. Would you come with me? Worship Jesus. Worship Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. He is the king of glory. Jesus Christ is the king of glory. Amen.